Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Do you understand the charge in count two, murder in the first degree? Yes. Brian Koberger's quadruple murder trial is scheduled to begin in less than three months. Will he provide an alibi at trial? Newly filed court documents reveal the answer. Welcome to Sidebar here on Law and Crime. I'm Anjanette Levy. Prosecutors in Brian Koberger's case want to know if he plans to present an alibi defense at trial. If he does, they say they have a right to know about it. Koberger faces the possibility of the death penalty if convicted of the murders of Maddie Mogan, Kayla Gonsalves, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin in Moscow last November. According to the probable cause affidavit and other court documents, a K-bar knife sheath was found under Maddie Mogan's body on her bed, and testing revealed Koberger's DNA was on the sheath. Law enforcement used genetic genealogy to locate a possible suspect and came up with a child related to Michael Koberger. That's Brian's father. According to the probable cause affidavit, detectives believe the four students were murdered sometime between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. The affidavit claims a white Hyundai Elantra was seen in the area of the King Road home beginning around 3.26 a.m. Around 4 a.m., investigators say Zana Kernodal received a DoorDash delivery. At 4.12, the affidavit says records show Zana was likely logged on to her TikTok account. The detective also wrote that Koberger's phone was not accessing cell towers for a two-hour time period that morning when the homicides would have been committed. Koberger's defense attorneys have responded to prosecutors' demand that he tell them if he plans to use an alibi at trial. They write that the defense team is still investigating and preparing his case. Evidence corroborating Mr. Koberger being at a location other than the King Road address will be disclosed pursuant to discovery and evidentiary rules as well as statutory requirements. It is anticipated this evidence may be offered by way of cross-examination of witnesses produced by the state as well as calling expert witnesses. Joining me to discuss this latest development in Brian Koberger's case is Fred Perry. He is a high-profile criminal defense attorney from Philadelphia. He has represented rappers in serious criminal matters, and he's here back with us. Welcome back to Sidebar, Fred. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's talk about the filing from the defense. When you read it, it's very brief, less than two pages. They're basically saying, we're reserving the right to provide an alibi at a later date, maybe, maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't, but we'll cross-examine witnesses and maybe it'll come out that way. What is your read on that? Well, let, let me start by saying that the, the presentation of an alibi defense from a def, uh, 
the criminal defense attorney standpoint is extremely difficult. Once you start the process of trying to have to prove something, the burden kind of shifts because in a criminal trial, a defendant is presumed to be innocent and has no burden of proof. It's the government has to you know, prove their case. Once you start trying to prove an alibi, you better be able to prove that your client uh, was in a spaceship uh, circling Mars at the time of the incident. Um, otherwise, the government's going to punch a lot of holes in your case. It's, it's a very, very difficult process. And from what I've seen in, in these filings, it's clear to me that they simply don't have an alibi, but they're complying with the rules of criminal procedure um, for that jurisdiction. And they're saying, hey, listen, at this point, um, we don't have anything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But during the course of our trial, if we cross-examine someone, and that person happens to say, well, you know, maybe it wasn't uh, the defendant. He was, in fact, on Mars, you know, just landed on, on a Mars uh, mission. Then the judge is going to say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let that come in out of an abundance of caution. But I, I don't think they have anything. And when you add that to the fact that it looks like his cell phone um, was either turned off or, or put in some type of a mode so that um, he couldn't be tracked by the cell towers related to the cell phone. Uh, you know, I think that's problematic. I don't, I don't think an alibi is going to be an issue here in this case. So you do not expect an alibi defense because, I mean, this was the middle of the night. I mean, this is, you know, four in the morning, 3.30 in the morning uh, we're talking about. And we've, we've also got the white Elantra. And I think the defense is trying to suggest that that identification was faulty as well. At first, it, they said they were looking for a 2015 Hyundai Elantra. They didn't tell that to the public. They told other law enforcement that. And then by the time they released it to the public on December 5th, the photograph and the vehicle description, it was 2011 to 2013. Again, I, I think that's going to be damaging testimony. And, and I don't think an alibi is going to cure that at all. I think you also have the problem of the DNA uh, at, the, at the scene of the crime matching the defendant in this case. Um, the defense is now going to start to focus on the DNA evidence has been planted. DNA evidence was taken in a way that is not appropriate under, under the circumstances. And again, they're going to have to present expert testimony uh, from the defense standpoint to prove that. Fred, the circumstantial evidence in this case appears you know, to look damaging. Sometimes, though, when you dig into the discovery and into the guts of the case, you find things that weren't done properly. And we just don't simply have we simply don't have enough information at this point to know that we, we know what we've read in court filings. How do you tackle something like this? This is a quadruple homicide. You mentioned the DNA. We don't know if he there is other DNA of Brian Koberger's. 
in the crime scene. We just know about the sheath. I think without being part of the investigation from the government's perspective or having the information that's been provided to the defense at this point, we're not really in a position to know exactly how the evidence was, how it was prepared, how it was inspected, how it was tested. And I think what the defense will need to do is have their own expert take a look at everything and then come to certain conclusions as to whether or not, as you say, you can kind of punch some holes into their, the, 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 the government's case. Um, but without knowing everything that there is to know, I think it's kind of premature at this point. Brian Koberger has asserted his right to a speedy trial. The grand jury materials in this case are being prepared to be turned over to the defense. I mean, it just seems like a voluminous amount of information. We know a minimum of 51 terabytes of information have been turned over to the defense, and they say they are working on this every day. They've said that in court. Trial is scheduled for October 2nd. That's when jury selection will start. What are the advantages to asserting your right to a speedy trial in a case like this where your defense team has to really dig in and figure out what's what in this case and wade through all of that evidence? Well, there's there's two ways to look at it. Again, you want to preserve your right to a speedy trial, which kind of, um, you know, keeps the government at their paces that they have to present this information in a timely fashion because if the government is causing a delay in, in, the, in the presentation of the evidence to the defense, you can use that and to try to argue that your rights have been violated to a speedy trial. But practically speaking, I've been involved in dozens and dozens of, of cases where this type of voluminous discovery uh, is provided and the trial will take you know two, three, four weeks, maybe a couple of months. I've had plenty of cases like that. So you really don't want to get, get in, a, in, a, in a place where you're rushing through your preparation. Sometimes you need to go back to the court and say, hey, we need a few more months uh, to prepare this case for trial. And I think that's probably what you'll see here. As long as the government turns the information over in a timely fashion, the defense is going to kind of pump the brakes and say, hey, let's, let's take a look at this. We need experts to review this. This is now a capital murder case. This is not a jaywalking case. It's not a DUI you know, it's not a bar fight. This is a capital murder case, and we need to take our time and go through this information carefully. So just to recap, let's go back to the alibi issue, the, the alibi response that they filed. They're not asserting that they, there's an alibi. You don't expect them to provide an alibi. They're just basically saying through the cross-examination of witnesses, something may come out to say that he wasn't there, possibly through experts. So right now, as you said, they've got nothing as far as an alibi goes. Well, I, th I think if they had something significant um, in complying with the rules of criminal procedure, they would have set forth where he was, at what time, were there any other witnesses to confirm that he was at another location? Because that's what you would do, because that's what the rules are asking you to do. Give the government the information of your alibi now so that the government can conduct their own investigation. And I think what they've just done is just preserved the rule. And hey, it's possible that maybe the defendant will want to testify at trial that, hey, I was asleep in my bed, you know, three hours away and, you know, hope that Hail Mary, you know, answers some questions. But I, I don't see an alibi presentation at this point. That's interesting because I've actually been thinking about that will Brian Koberger testify? And when your life is on the line, maybe you decide, yes, 
I am going to testify, especially when, you, you know, we're talking about DNA evidence and obviously we haven't seen how that un- has is going to unfold in the courtroom as far as cross-examining the DNA analyst or the people performing the testing, the people who found the sheath. But I, I've been thinking about that. He may elect to take the stand. Again, it's too early to tell. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'd have to look at the, the evidence has been presented by the government to the defense. You'd have to see how that presentation unfolds in the courtroom in front of the jury. Um, and if it looks like he's gone down on the case based on the evidence, he may make a decision to get up there and testify and try and, you know, like I said before, throw that Hail Mary and, and, and see what happens. But it, I think it's way too early to make the decisions right now on whether or not he, he'd be testifying in the case. Well, Fred Perry, thank you again for coming on Sidebar. We always appreciate your time. And uh, this is an interesting case. We'll be following it closely and hope to have you back to discuss it even further in the future. It's my pleasure. Good talking (laughs) to you. And that's it for this edition of Law & Crime Sidebar Podcast. You can listen to and download Sidebar on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always watch it on Law & Crime's YouTube channel. I'm Anjanette Levy, and we will see you next time. Thank you.